0: Welcome to Cool Explorations. I'm your host Tony Peters, and this is done in partnership with Impact Canada. Today we'll be covering 1 Thessalonians five one to eleven and talking about living like will be delivered. And this segment is also from Michael Dowd's book, The Gospels. And what we're going to be covering today is is a good topic and. Basically, whether we are a believer or a non-believer, our time on earth, uh, it'll come to an end. As believers will be taken up from the earth in the rapture, we will be gathered up to be with Jesus. The promise of Christ's return is what our faith is grounded upon. We will see Jesus face to face and be in God's glory. At the same time, we are promised a time of judgment. This judgment will be preceded by a time of great trial and grief on earth, as God makes one last effort to get our attention before it is too late. And we want to be ready when that time comes. I love C.S. Lewis, uh, and not just because he's an author like myself. Uh, He had a lot of great insights into the Christian faith and how we should be following christ and he once wrote christianity if false is of no importance and if true of infinite importance the one thing it cannot be is moderately important when compared to the standard of infinite importance what does moderately important look like it's hard to say Uh, in first thessalonians 5 paul describes uh, a state of spiritual indifference that believers must avoid which may give us a clue to what moderately important really looks like. In his speech, Perils of Indifference, uh, Elie Weisel, a Romanian Jew who survived the Holocaust concentration camps, defines indifference as no difference, a strange and unnatural state in which the lines blur between light and darkness, dusk and dawn, crime and punishment, cruelty and compassion, good and evil. In words that touch on the second greatest commandment, Weisel goes on to assert that such indifference ultimately renders neighbors to be of no consequence, and so renders their lives meaningless to the indifferent, Uh, so then indifference elicits no response, and therefore indifference is always the friend of the enemy, for it benefits the aggressor, never his victim, whose pain is magnified when he or she feels forgotten." And those are great words for us to remember and to live by uh, as, as Christians. We need to remember that indifference is is the same as, as not caring and not showing that it's not important to us. And the lives of other people should always be important to us. After all, we want to see them in heaven with us. Uh, when Christ returns, how do we think that we will respond? And how do we think that he'll respond to a church that considered his work and purpose moderately important, would he see that church any differently than one that is indifferent uh, or the friend of the enemy? And that's an important thing for us to try and remember and something to keep in mind as we go through our daily lives, as we, as we participate in, in church and in church activities. Uh, are we indifferent? Is our church indifferent? Uh, and the message in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-11 to serves both as a challenge to serve Christ uh, with the sense of infinite importance he calls on and so serves uh, as a prescription against the deadly disease of spiritual indifference. I, I hope that all of us would be not indifferent, <laughs> that we would all have a strong conviction in our faith and in our belief in Christ it must be of utmost importance. Nothing should come before it. As such, our willingness to share the gospel and follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit should be of utmost importance. When the Holy Spirit gives direction, we must pray, study the scriptures, and then follow it with a willing heart. By doing this, we will be prepared for the coming of the end of days. Our hearts will be ready when Christ returns. And as we go through this passage, we're going to see Paul present a contrast over the nature and ultimate fate of two groups of people, the children of darkness and the children of light. And as he does this, Paul will exhort the children of light to live in a manner consistent with their nature and ultimate fate. To draw this contrast, Paul uses the drastically different outcomes these two groups will experience in the coming of the Lord, beginning with the fate of the children of darkness in verses 1 to 3. The children of darkness will be shocked from their uh, uh, perceptions to endure an inevitable destruction. Although the experience will be sudden, as Paul says in verse 3, an understanding of how the day of the Lord is described and fulfilled throughout the scriptures, as well as how Paul describes it here, leads to the conclusion that Paul is describing an extended period of judgment which will begin suddenly. Consider the following. If you find any basis for this assertion about the, about the day of the Lord. Uh, Paul writes in verse 1 by reminding the Thessalonians that they fully process and possess an understanding of times and seasons, a phrase meant to communicate an extended yet definite period of time. In the New Testament, it's used to describe the future definite period of time in which events. Of the end times will occur. Furthermore, Paul goes on to explain that these times and seasons, to the day of the Lord, which are equated as being the same, and which the Thessalonians are fully aware of in verse two, and this is an appropriate um, description and looking at it because uh, way of looking at it because the day of the Lord in the Old Testament is consistently presented as a period of time where God uh, begins to bring his wrath about, Uh, and it's a judgment upon the wicked, while at the same time bringing deliverance to his faithful people. The New Testament continues this theme with the added detail that Jesus is the Lord, who brings both his judgment and deliverance. In short, the day of the Lord is an extended yet definite period of time where God brings judgment and wrath upon the wicked, the children of darkness, while bringing deliverance to his people, which is the children of light. If you look carefully at how Paul describes the fate of the children of darkness, this conclusion about the nature of the judgment to come is both confirmed and further described by the analogy of a thief and labor pains. The day of the Lord will come like a thief and continue like labor pains. Like a thief, it will come by surprise and with hostile intent, like those in the days of Jeremiah who arrogantly defied God's word, claiming that Jerusalem would know peace and security rather than the judgment he would inevitably bring upon them through the Babylonian invasion. The day of the Lord will assault the perceptions of the children of darkness, like labor pains. This destruction will bring about a sudden a sudden confliction within them and will begin suddenly and it will continue for a time until their inevitable end and as they continue just like labor pains god's wrath will increase in intensity over time as he tries to grab their attention in matthew 24 4 to 8 jesus describes the beginning of these birth pains as false messiahs coming in the midst of wars and rumors of wars as nations and kingdoms rise against each other while famines and earthquakes become widespread. Jesus then explains that the intensity of these birth pains will increase until the end comes when he returns in judgment. This is the extended period of time that will come like a thief and as labor pains the day of the Lord that will both shock and destroy the children of darkness. But the children of light are not Of the stock, who will be shocked? In verse 4, Paul shifts focus from the people who are saying there is peace and security, in verse 3, to brothers, and does so to show the contrast in nature between the children of darkness and the children of light. Paul writes in verses 4 to 5, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief in the night, or like a thief, sorry. Uh, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the light, or of the night, or of the darkness, I'm sorry. Uh, it's important to understand the distinction Paul is making here between night and day, between darkness and light. Paul makes the distinction and later describes it, as we'll see, as distinctions in behavior. In verse 5, he describes it first and foremost as a distinction in being in nature. You are all children of light, children of the day. It's an action word. It's, it's a word that, that is definitive. This is who you are. In John 3, the scripture makes the same distinction between darkness and light, and the basis for the difference in being in nature is Christ himself the light of the world. John writes, The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. And that's John three nineteen and 21. The children of light are the ones who have come to Christ. The children of darkness are the ones who have loved the life of darkness. And so they end up rejecting Christ Therefore, if the thief comes at night, not only will this not surprise us, as Paul says in verse 4, but it can't surprise us because we don't live in the night, in the darkness. We don't live in the domain where the thief's hostile intentions will be directed, because we are not of the night. We're not of the darkness. And if this is true, and if this is who we are, if this is our nature, then what ought to be true of us? We can really consider that, and and Paul is very clear on there being two different groups of people, believers in Christ and rejectors of Christ. We're all presented with the gospel. What we do with that message falls into only two camps. We either accept Christ as our Savior and repent of our sins, or we reject Christ and choose to follow Satan. We do not want to be caught unaware when the rapture happens waiting to accept Christ, for that means you will not be part of the rapture and you will have to suffer during the tribulation period which is not a fate i wish upon anybody we want to be in the camp that is ready and waiting for christ and paul returns in the next section to analogy to the analogy of those who are awake and those who are asleep uh, this is something a theme that's been consistent throughout and he's actually using different verbiage here than our translation Picks up, uh, it, it doesn't quite get the full grasp of this um, due to that translation. Uh, and here we're called to be prepared and active in our faith instead of being lazy and unprepared. Uh, Paul again wants us to take our faith seriously and to be witnessed, uh, witnesses for Christ. Uh, and let's just take a look at this a little further. Uh, in 1 Thess- Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, it, it said that Paul was describing us um, or re- describing the dead in Christ as those who are asleep uh, and he comes back to the topic of sleepers again in this passage um, and this time as I mentioned it's it's a different verbiage uh, and in this one he's saying one which can either uh, mean to actually sleep or to describe a state of spiritual indifference or blindness and he uses it in both literal and figurative ways in this passage, uh, beginning with the figurative that he uses in verse 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. The others uh, are the children of darkness in their rejection of Christ, and they're spiritually blind and indifferent, and so they won't see the day of the Lord coming. But Paul begins verse 6 with, So then, uh, because believers in Christ are children of the light, they must not live like the children of darkness, but rather keep awake and be sober. Uh, in other words, although it is impossible for the day of the Lord to catch Christians unprepared, it is possible for them to adopt the same lifestyle as those who will be caught unawares. And that's what we have to be careful of. Uh, Paul is saying, don't do that. Uh, instead, be diligent to remain alert and stay controlled. If you're a child of light, be careful and determined to stay in the light because of life in the darkness will lead to the deeds of darkness. This is Paul's point in verse 7. For those who, are, who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Paul now shifts to the literal sense of the word for sleep, uh, to appeal to everyday experiences, uh, and to make a point that sleep and drunkenness are most often associated with the night. Thus, Paul creatively illustrates his figurative use of sleep in verse 6 by referring to the nighttime practices of sleep and drunkenness in order to contrast the deeds of the children of darkness with other sober, self-controlled uh, individuals, which ought to be the character of the believer. Uh, and this should be the testimony of the child of light because of who they are in Christ. And this should also be their testimony because their testimony should reflect their hope for salvation. In verses 8 to 10, Paul continues to develop the quality of a sober, self-controlled life, more specifically, in light of who we are in Christ, destined not for the coming wrath, but for salvation. And as we saw in Paul's teaching on the rapture, both the dead and the living will experience together the greater outcome of our salvation. Christ's return to resurrect his church to eternal life. This is our great hope, and this hope should be demonstrated in our Christ-like character. In verse 8, Paul reminds the Thessalonians once more who they are. We belong to the day. We are owned by the day, and if the day is representative of Christ, then no power in heaven and earth can take us from him. But if that's so, then let us be sober. Paul then elaborates on what he means through a reference to the alert and sober warrior clothed with Christ's character, clothed with faith, love, and hope. And Paul purposely concludes verse 8 with hope, not just any hope, but the hope of salvation, which is assured through Christ's work on our behalf. Paul writes in verses 9 and 10, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. In verse 3, we saw that the children of darkness will face sudden destruction. They will not escape. But this is not the destiny of the children of light. God has destined us for salvation because our Lord Jesus Christ died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And here is amazing grace. Remember, Paul is using a different verb for sleep in this passage. In the earlier rapture passage, he would have taken Paul's point, or we would have taken Paul's point here to mean alive or dead. We live with Christ, and that's true, but that's not the point Paul's making. This verb for sleep, as we've already seen, can be used figuratively to mean spiritual indifference or sluggishness. Paul charges a young Thessalonian congregation here to live like the children of light Christ has made them, but comforts them with grace should they stumble into sleep. As the New American Commentary so beautifully puts it, uh, Paul was assuring his readers here of the security of those for whom Christ died. Human vigilance may flag, but Christ's sacrifice will not fail to deliver the believer from wrath even believers who have fallen asleep at their post. Nevertheless, this grace is a comfort to us in our weakness, not a license to wander into the darkness of the, of the crutch of that weakness. Jesus commands in Matthew twenty four forty two, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Why? Because when he comes, he will come to deliver God's children. A promise packaged with an exhortation. Paul has a command for us as well. Just as he closed the preceding passage on the rapture with the command to encourage one another with the hope of Christ's return to, re- to resurrect the church, here again he closes this teaching on the day of the Lord and our right response to it with the commands to encourage one another and build one another up. So how do we apply these commands? How do we live like we'll be delivered? It's a good question. Christ's return and our our promise of eternity with him means that we need to be awake. And we need to pay attention to Paul as he returns to this analogy of being awake and being asleep. Uh, He's using different verbiage, and I know we've discussed this. Our translations don't pick up on this. Uh, So, how do we live like we'll be delivered? That that really is the key question here. To begin with, we need to encourage one another with hope of our deliverance. And maybe we need to to take a a look at the timeline we followed. And previously we've mentioned that the rapture will precede the period of the great tribulation, where, as John indicates it in Revelation 6:15 to 17, those on earth during this time will plead to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And that's verse 16 and 17. But in First Thessalonians 5, Paul comforts the Thessalonians, that God has not destined us for for this wrath. In Revelation 3:10, Jesus himself tells the church at Philadelphia, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Yet a great debate among theologians is whether this deliverance is from wrath or through wrath. In My understanding of 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, Paul does seem to strongly suggest that the children of light of the day uh, will not experience this uh, destruction uh, which will come upon those of the night uh, of the darkness. Still, this does not dispel the argument that we could be preserved from the experience while in the midst of it, not unlike Noah and his family through the the flood. But I don't think that that's the way it is. Uh, And Paul commends the Thessalonians, for their testimony in chapter one, verses nine to ten, uh, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Uh, Paul's teaching on the day of the Lord's wrath in First Thessalonians five immediately follows his teaching on Christ's return to resurrect His church. And here in chapter one, he clearly refers to this return as a deliverance from the wrath to come, uh, and that is why I do strongly believe that the rapture will precede the tribulation, and hopefully, uh, we've made a compelling case for that uh, in this regards. Uh, regardless, uh, I always want to counsel you to hold fast to God's promise that He will not, that we will not experience His wrath. Uh, whether through or from, and whether through or from, the act of uh, preparation for the believer for those coming times and seasons is, as Paul commanded, build one another up as we wait for our, our deliverance. Building one another up is one of Paul's favorite ways to describe the corporate work of the church in helping one another to grow spiritually. The verb building up means to help improve ability to function in living responsibi- uh, responsibly and effectively. Paul uses the related noun in Ephesians four twelve to 13 to describe the Church's responsibility to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and our great hope is that Christ is going to return to transform the living and the dead in Christ who eternally knew human beings uh, and in so doing he's going to deliver us from the hour and trial that is coming on the whole world and that while we wait he commands us to stay awake for you do not know on what Day your Lord will, uh, is coming, then our compelling and consuming passion ought to be to build one another up until that day comes. In his command to build one another up, Paul commands a local church in Thessalonica and your local church and mine to unconditionally commit each and every one of us to the works of service that can build even the weakest in faith to a spiritual maturity. That equals the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. The challenge for each faithful church in Christ is a challenge that asks introspectively, are we awake or are we asleep? That makes us so we need to really live like we will be delivered. Christ's return and our promise of eternity with him provides us with hope and should act as an encouragement in our lives. As we find our own encouragement and peace in Christ, we should be inspired to share that same encouragement with those around us. Be a comforter and uplifter. Let Christ's light shine from you. Thank you for listening to Cool Explorations. I hope you've enjoyed this segment on uh, living like we'll be delivered. God loves us so much. He loves us so much that he chose not to abandon us when we chose to turn our backs on him in our lives of sin. He pursues a relationship with us and provides us with several modes of encouragement. He gives us the Holy Spirit, the Bible, and he gives us these things so that we can learn about him and find comfort in the lives and teachings of those who have come before us. He communicates through prayer, building a personal relationship with each of us. He provides us with spiritual leaders and fellow believers to provide encouragement and support. Most importantly, we have the Holy Spirit to act as our guide and put us onto the right path. We must choose to listen and choose to accept God's invitation to have a relationship with Him. This choice is a way of showing love. We are not forced into a relationship with our God. We are given the choice. Does the decision to have a relationship with God have eternal ramifications yes choosing christ and our father will result in an eternity of being in god's glory living as we were intended to live when we were created choosing to reject christ and our father will result in an eternity apart from god in hell the choice is yours to make i encourage you to make the right choice today If you would like to reach me for any reason, you can do so at tpeters745 at gmail.com.